Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. Felix, how's it going tonight? It's pretty good. Uh, we're just fresh off of recording the Riptide deck tech, which uh, you talked almost for an hour straight, and very, very excited to cut into that. It's a, a new level of production for the IP2 podcast, <laughs> recording something in two parts and squishing it together. I I don't know if I'm prepared for, for doing this extra work, Shay. <laughs> ah, I think you're up to the task. It'll also be interesting to see how it pans out for our our first one i'm excited yeah. and nervous at the same time yeah it's it's good and hey as an upside uh we'll finally get to an episode where you talk more than me so that'll be uh, something more <laughs> think, that i'm sure some people have been asking those. for i think there's a couple of those <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, there's it's good. There, there's been a, a few firsts for us here over the past few months and, and weeks. Uh, I guess we can get into it more when we're we're talking about worlds, but this is also a good topic. Our, our first yeah. video and looking back at it uh, in retrospect, um, because the organizers of the world championships were gracious enough to offer us a, a spot as a community spotlight. And for our first video, it was quite bad, and it looks like <laughs> it was so bad. Oh, oh man, we did it. We what did we do it? We did it in basically one take. We didn't yeah. re-record it or anything like that. Um, yeah, watching, you know, like my faces and mannerisms. I was trying to like look at the camera, and you could see I was reading off screen. It, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty rough. Uh, but uh, maybe yeah. we start doing videos and we get better at it. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure we'll be better at it over time. Uh, the first episode of the IP2 podcast, we had to completely re-record three times, three I believe. Times. We yeah. threw out the first two. The first episode was still quite rough. I mean, it, it's a lot more natural now. I mean, we still have some ways to go, of course, but... Yeah. You know, there's uh, just like everything else, though, there'll be some improvements. So, yeah, there there will be a deck tech at the end of this episode. It's, it is a lot of fun. It's definitely in our style. It's uh, it's not your your average deck tech. I think it's yeah. uh, good audio only, but uh, there's some video as well uh, for those watching on video. But uh, before we get into all that, is there anything new with you in, in life? Everything good? Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about this before we started. I don't really have a whole lot, but um, not to get super serious, um, you know, our family has been in a, I guess, I don't want to say a rut, but we've gotten into a habit where like Yvonne will sit on her, uh, on the couch and she'll do puzzles or play video games or I will uh, sit at my computer and do whatever I'm doing. And then Laura will be off doing her own thing, doing crafts or watching the iPad or whatever. Um, so I don't want to say like we've had family drift, but we've kind of, you know, st stopped hanging out together as a family. And uh, tonight at dinner table, we sat down and Yvonne was, you know, we were kind of talking about it and she's kind of putting together a schedule for the family to where we do family board game nights or yep. Uh, activities or whatever it is as well as like cleaning schedule and doing other uh, things around the house weirdly enough i'm kind of excited for it because i've been feeling the lull myself just sitting at my desk being like i'm bored doing nothing and then i have you know people in my life that i could be doing things with um you know during the early evening or on the weekends so um we've 
stopped playing board games. That's kind of sad for us because we're a huge board game family. And so I'm actually really excited to start getting back into playing board games um, with my wife and my daughter and helping Alora get better at reading. And um, yeah, so that's that's like kind of like my family update. Like it's not it's not always like perfect and rainbows and stuff like that. Like it's not like we're fighting or anything like that, but there's always things that you know, you can work on or improve or even just readjust in life. And it's just kind of something that kind of came up while we were talking today. So, yeah. How about you? What's new with you? I guess before we go into that, and I mean, thanks for for sharing that with us. I, I think it's pretty natural, right? Because people get, you know, it's towards the end of the year, Christmas and the lead up to it can be a stressful time for for people because you're buying presents like you're planning out what you're doing for your vacation or people coming over um you you know it's a time of financial stress it's a time where you know maybe you're getting your year-end reviews for for work or whatever reasons and people are distracted right that that doesn't mean that your relationships are falling apart it means that we're human right like these things happen and what's important is uh how you work through it you work through it productively and uh you know you bounce back and and reconnect which it sounds like you know you're you're on your path path to doing so no and you know i think that's very applicable advice to to people generally right just because you you get in a bit of a routine um or you know a rut or sometimes things could be dipping a little bit it doesn't mean you're a failure as a person it means you're human right yeah, it's uh, yeah. that's all it is and um, like it's gonna only help our relationships right like yeah. number one i want my daughter to remember her father being in her life yeah like, that's important to me whether or not she does is not not in my control but um all i can do is try right and i, I don't want her to be like oh yeah my dad was never there and then same with uh, Yvonne, you know, making sure that we keep our relationship healthy, that we keep engaged with each other, you know, and not become complacent was the word I was trying to come up with earlier. So, yeah. yeah. yeah and and no. thankfully, we kind of came to that recognition early before it became a problem. Oh, yeah. Like I said, it wasn't not that it was again, this was just this a conversation, but, you know, things can spiral out of control, you know, if you, you don't take care of them. So. No, th- the, thanks a lot for that. The last thing I ever want to portray is that there's perfection happening over here because that is not <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> we are we are very real people with with very very real issues. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm 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 doing really good. Yeah, I um I unpacked my grab and go uh, suitcase, which I've been taking across the country with me every couple weeks. That's exciting. So yeah, really excited to uh, just settle down and get some. Um, I don't know, a streak of uh, time just uh, sitting my ass at home and, you know, sometimes going to my workplace and, and uh, going to armories and all that. I'm just really tired, looking forward to it, uh, looking forward to winter break coming up. Um, set up my my indoor bike, so I'm looking forward to uh, doing some exercise again, you know. Nice. Doing, do, doing all this flying, you know, eating lobster dinners um, too often. It's uh, it's been really bad for me. It's yeah. uh, something I, I need to get uh, get back well, on top of. I think our long term listeners, you know, recognize that you've been recording from you know out of province quite quite a bit, and I think you know, obviously, it's well earned at this point that you get to stay at home and rest and not be on the go all the time. So I think that's 
you know, really exciting for you, exciting for me to hear that you actually maybe get a chance to rest for a little bit because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's taxing. It's taxing on your body. Oh, it's man. taxing on your, you know, your family life, your home life, uh, even your, your third place as well. You know, you have to find new uh, places to become, you know, to keep yeah. that sanity. Yeah, and, and that's a, a great throwback to our, our first episode. And and again, it's uh, I, I have nothing but amazing things to say about the the people um, that that I met when when I was there. And you know, they've built up a very vibrant uh, flesh and blood community that I was mm-hmm. very very happy uh, to be a very small part of uh, for the time I was there. But yeah, man, I am I'm looking forward to uh, yeah getting back to to armories and and playing regularly and and all of that so yeah let's uh let's jump into worlds which is the big event that took up our eyeballs over the last weekend um and i mean do you want to start with the keynote did you did you catch this in real time i didn't catch it in real time i caught it actually i don't know if you could catch it in real time I guess I think... real time refreshing the the Discord, waiting for the <laughs> yeah. the live yeah. updates. Um, I didn't really see the live updates, or I guess from people, but I did happen to click on YouTube eighteen minutes after LSS posted their official video. Yep. Um, I did watch uh, some of that, and that was that was uh, there was some really good stuff in there. Um, James White's mic clipping was pretty rough to listen to. Yep. Because uh, of his exuberance. But definitely appreciate that. Um, I don't know. What are do you have any takeaways from the keynote? I mean, yeah, the fifty battle hardens and eighteen callings. That that seems like a lot. Seems like we're going to be living well uh, next year for those yeah. that are interested in in the competitive uh, circuit. Which I am one of those people. Um, sometimes as a competitor, sometimes as a judge. So it seems like there's yeah. going to be more and more opportunities for for people um and i mean my other takeaway was bright lights kasai amazing um my my hype for this set as a longtime guardian player and sometimes warrior player is uh is off the charts yeah it's fun seeing people already speculate over the the adult kasai yeah um, yeah the the thing that got me was it wasn't the two pts that's i mean that's cool but it's only like one more than there was in the past. Yep. But like 50 battle hardens and 18 callings, like those are substantially more than we've been getting in the past. And the PTs are cool. Don't get me wrong, but we've talked about in the past there for a niche amount of the player base and seeing like 50 battle hardens and having uh, a larger player base have access to, more competitive events is really exciting to me. And I actually didn't even know there was already, was it 42 battle hardens this year and 11 callings? Yeah. Um, I had no idea. So now knowing that there's going to be like more than one calling a month, that's super cool. And I hope that we can get production teams out to them because I really enjoy watching the, the live gameplay of those competitive events. They're, you know, kind of one of the ways I spend my, uh, Fridays or Saturdays and Sundays uh, watching them. So that's, yeah. I'm super excited about that. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of cool stuff happening and, and a lot of cool announcements coming down the pipe. Uh, 
from the keynote and I see people already brewing uh, Kasai and I, I think they announced a couple of the events, uh, including a calling on the Northeast of of the US in Hartford. So yeah, oh, yeah really excited to, to see the trickle uh, of more and more news. Uh, yeah. I think one of the major takeaways from the keynote too as well, that this year there's three standalone sets and no yep. um, supplemental sets. I don't yep. know if they've completely gone away from supplementals or if this is just something that they're trying. Um, and I also noticed that the two sub- or standalone sets in the second half are a month closer to each other than heavy hitters and then the one that follows heavy hitters. I don't know if that mm. was something that you noticed. Maybe it's just uh, maybe one of them is late in the month and another one's early. Maybe I guess maybe I noticed, but I I didn't think too much yeah. of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And on to the actual event of of Worlds. Did you manage to catch any of that? Yeah, I caught a little bit of it. Um, obviously, you saw the the Yuki updates with her going whatever it was 11 and 0 11 and 0 i think until she lost um so like that was awesome to watch a canadian uh go so well into the event and mm-hmm. you know we talked to yuki and we talked to eric who were in the same city and we talked about their limited prowess and how much they they do out there and when she went 6-0 that kind of like reinforces how well that they actually are limited out there in uh, Vancouver, which yep. was, I think, really validating to see, I think, for them. You know, it's great to, to you know, kind of put your money where your mouth is, I guess, in, in a certain way. Not that they're bragging about it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The, the results back up the the reputation. So, yeah. no, that, that, that was really good to see. I was cheering for her, for sure, um, <laughs> along with Kale McCreeth, as I said in that uh, yeah. that um that video so was pretty heartbroken to to see her um exit um in the quarterfinals um yeah i had to catch that vod it was the game was at like 3 a.m uh our time yeah i was i was friday i was was yeah it was thursday it was thursday when we were catching it here in in canada i think at like 1 a.m yeah thursday i was up with you because i had a canceled flight so we had the last we had like last remnant eight, of my uh my trip south your trip we had like eight yeah. people in the discord at like yeah two o'clock in the morning local and then yeah you jumped in for your flight and we had some like locals and i was like what is happening here why is are all these people up i shouldn't even be up but yeah i was uh i was i just wanted to see some of the matchups yeah and you know it just goes to show how passionate people are for for high level gameplay in and even in our community, which tends to be a little more casual, it's uh, yeah. it's it was, awesome it was to a lot, see. It was a lot of fun. I was going to get off after I think the first or second round, but then there was wind of there being a two O Teclavosin that was going to hit stream. Um, yeah. So I mean, how do you how do you skip that? You know. So I had to stay up and watch the the Teclavosin match, and uh, it was really cool. Yeah, Teclavasan is on my list for uh, New Heroes to Brew for sure. Is he? Looks looks a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah for sure. Does. And um, yeah, big big congratulations to Alexandros on on Phi, um, our new uh, new world champion. Yeah. 
um funny story um so i've i've been playing fab with uh, janice my my wife uh for the last couple weeks she wants to get back into it i think i mentioned on this podcast before she used to play but um, the living legend of prism just scarred her and she swore off the game <laughs> she really really liked playing prism the aesthetic and the play style and and all of that and i i started teaching her again okay yep. there's this new hero he's cool he's fast he swings kadachis or an ember blade he's not gonna living legend so you're safe for a while <laughs> uh so please come back and play this game with me uh-oh <laughs> yeah plus plus 300 living legend points (laughs) mistakes were made yeah that's right yeah but uh you know it's uh we'll 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 see how how that goes um regardless of that incredible performance uh and if nothing else gave um some fun uh things to watch on the big screen with uh Mm -hmm. with her just to to watch some high level fi gameplay yeah that's nice that you get to share that with her yeah hopefully it's not too too much yeah ho- ho- hopefully it doesn't living legend in the next uh, couple months and i'm i'm definitely yeah. not gonna get a third chance uh <laughs> <laughs> i haven't even gotten a second chance oh bad mine so at least you at least you're there all right well anything else here before we take our listeners into the deep dive into riptide Nope. Enjoy. All right. Enjoy. Why Riptide? Did you like him from the very beginning, or was there a particular result or inspiration or card that that drew you to him? Um, When he was first announced, checked off a box that I've been trying to do for a very long time, and that's actually win a game using Pitfall Trap. Mm. Uh, So when he was spoiled and his hero ability revolved around traps, I was super excited. So... Yeah, since crew, I've been trying to kill people with a pitfall trap, and I haven't been able to do it yet. I see. And could you just remind our audio listeners, perhaps, what the uh, pitfall trap does? Sure. Pitfall trap is a crucible trap, Mm -hmm. um, so it has to be played from arsenal. And when it's played from arsenal, it does one damage um, as it's being played, and then uh, it'll do an additional two damage unless your opponent pays one resource to stop that effect from happening. Okay, and that's in addition to blocking for... Three. Three. And it's a yellow as well. Okay, so it's a yellow, block three, deal one, with a potential to deal two more, unless your opponent pays one. Yeah. So potential one card six from Arsenal. And it's getting the one damage from Riptide's ability. It doesn't itself do the one damage. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's really sweet. So it was really that combination of being being able to to get that extra value off of cards like Pitfall Trap that that really drew you to him. Yeah, and I also I think naturally like to play defensive decks or decks mm-hmm. that have the ability to be defensive. Um, and again, his hero ability to me says that he wants to be defensive. Let's explore that a little bit. What's your typical? turn by turn hand like are you typically blocking with your whole hand or are you typically keeping more cards to send some back what does your average turn look like for for riptide so that's a really good question because there's a couple of ways that you can play riptide right now 
Um, there is the traditional, like aggressive, play buff, shoot arrows, Riptide. Um, but then there is more. What I play is, um, I guess people would coin it as mid range, where you have, um, you can be defensive when you need to be defensive, and you can also be offensive when you need to be. So um, it really depends on what your opponent's doing. If you can recognize that somebody is playing out some power cards on their turn. Um, he's usually very effective at blocking and that's okay. You can take turns off with Riptide and block out um, power turns and set up or wait for some some of your own cards to come around that you want to pressure damage with. Okay, and it sounds like the way that you play Riptide then, the way that you play out your hands changes based on the way your opponent is managing the, their threats. And so if they're going full gas, then you're full blocking essentially and you're yeah, trying pretty to, yeah pretty close yep okay. um it's it is definitely a value game um you're looking you are obviously looking at oh i'm holding a pump that does three damage but only blocks for two you really have to weigh whether or not using that pump for that turn is worth it or if you need that two extra block to stop some sort of on fit on hit effect or something detrimental that's going to happen to you so you are weighing those things. It's not always just a straight, I'm going to block because it's a power turn. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that I really like about learning about playing Riptide is he's very dynamic in that regard. And those are some of the difficult micro decisions with him is whether or not you are going to block or use some of the cards in your hand on your turn. And when you have a winning game, how are you typically winning? Are you fatiguing your opponent or are you are you going down and trading life with them until you kill them with a good trap trigger? Like what is a typical victory look like for you? So with the list that we're going to go over with, it was primarily going down to fatigue, mm. um, but it's like a double threat fatigue. It's not just blocking and doing trap damage and whittling them down. Uh, he, the, this deck list, I found that he was also able to win games by fatiguing the opponent by pressuring, you know, one to two card hands from me and getting uh, two to three cards out of my opponent. Right. And as a ranger, you naturally want to, I think a lot of times play more than 60 cards. Yep. So you end up having like a card advantage, like a, a deck card advantage over your opponent that allows you to block out more than uh, some other decks might normally do. Okay, and before we delve straight into the card choices, the last question I have is, who should pick up Riptide? Who would you recommend this to? <laughs> uh, first of all, if you're not a slave to the meta, I would uh, recommend that you try Riptide. Rangers are fun. Um, you get to do lots of cool stuff with them, um, and I find that really enjoyable. Um, one other thing with traps is... I don't know, something about damaging, uh, winning trades on your opponent's turn is is kind of fun when they present a bunch of damage and you take one or two and they take three or four on their turn. Um, it, it's, it's quite funny to see, I think. Um, so I think anybody that wants to try something different, um, if you have, you know, angst towards aggro decks, uh, this is a deck that would appeal to you, I think. All right. Well, that's great. Uh, well, Shay, why don't you take us through some of the choices in your deck and um, in a way that, that you choose? 
Sure. Uh, so we'll start with the hero. It's, his name is Riptide Lurker of the Deep. He is a four intellect hero with 38 health. Uh, and he has two hero abilities. The first one is whenever you play a card from hand, you may put a card from your hand face down into your arsenal. And the second ability is whenever a trap you control triggers deal one damage to the attacking hero. So the first one, typically you use like a pump from hand and it'll allow, allow you to either load an arrow for free, so not consuming your bow action. Or um, it's a really easy way for him to load like one of the touch attacks, so death touch or virulent touch that has to be played from arsenal. So you can play them a turn sooner than the assassin, assassins or rangers can. And his second ability is whenever you um, trigger trap, you deal a damage. So he has a very weak way to guarantee damage, but over the course of the game, it can add up to a lot of damage. Yeah, anything which just gives you incremental value that is free, essentially, yeah. <laughs> um, is is quite powerful. It's not like an ability like Bravo where you have to pay uh, to get the effect. You just always have that. And just one other trick that I think you showed me is that that first ability can also help you get around something like Dominate. Like if you have a trap from hand, yeah. then you can load a trap into your arsenal and defend uh, with it as well. Uh, I've been uh, surprised by that a couple times. I always forget that you can do that. Yeah, you can you can get three cards to block a Dominate, um, which is pretty exciting. So you can play a trap from Arsenal, play a trap from hand, like you said. And then with the trigger from the trap from hand, you get to load another trap or defense reaction, I guess, um, and play that. So you can, yeah, you can do some pretty wild stuff when you're being dominated, which is a really, which is really cool. Part of one of the things that makes the hero fun is to be able to block a crippling crush for 11 with, you know, one card from hand. Yeah. <laughs> so in this list, I guess um, there's only six pieces of equipment. Uh, so lots of room for sideboarding. Um, the the first two key pieces to the list are Dreadbore and uh, Quiver of Abyssal Depths. Um, Dreadbore is mostly for the text of defense can uh, defense reactions can't be played from hand of this chain link. What that does is it gums up uh, opponents' hands with uh, defense reactions because. Uh, people naturally want to bring defense reactions into rangers. So this slows down the ability of your opponent to play defense reactions and block extremely efficiently against you because one of Riptide's biggest downfalls is he has a very difficult time pushing damage when a hero doesn't want to take damage. Um, and then the effect of loading an arrow gives it plus one, kind of gives you that extra... Um, value on arrows. They are usually like one for five or zero for four plus the cost of loading. Um, so getting an extra plus one helps you present more damage over the game with a hero that has a limited amount of attacks. Uh, Rangers don't have weapons that they can just swing all day. So once you run out of threats in your deck, you run out of any gas to finish the game off. Um, so it's uh, it's important to note that for Dreadbore, the Defense reactions can't be played from hand. This chain like it just applies to all arrows. They don't need to be loaded with Dreadbore uh, that turn. That's yes. so you can combo it with uh, Riptide's ability to load an arrow. Let's say mm -hmm. um, from 
you know, from his ability. So that's something that I actually kept forgetting because I yep. haven't seen Dreadfor board too much until you uh, you started playing this deck. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people haven't haven't seen Dreadbore. And it doesn't matter whether or not the arrow is loaded face up or face down. Right. Um, it, like you said, it just matters that it's an arrow and it's always active and it doesn't matter where the arrow comes from. Do you so, find that um, the combo of Dreadboard needing to pay one to get plus one, like do you off do you find sometimes you're losing value off the Riptide trigger because, you know, you you want to pay the one anyway off Dreadboard to get the plus one? Sometimes, sort of. Um, it really comes down to what your opponent did on their turn, right? Um, and one of the, that's one of the micro decisions that you're making on a turn by turn basis is. Can you sacrifice a card uh, to pitch? Or um, are you going to get a resource from Trench, which we're going to go over in a second here. Um, so sometimes, yes, but if you're holding a pump, it's often better to play a pump from hand and use trigger Riptide's ability and load an arrow and then fire a zero cost because um, you're getting you know three points versus one point right. um, if you pitch. But sometimes maybe it's a key card uh, that you want for late game. So then you can pitch that pump or arrow um, and get it for late game and set up. One thing that Riptide is really good at is um, pitch stacking. Right. Uh, because of Trench um, and the and the bow. All right. No, this is uh, already very, uh, a little bit complicated, but I, I like it. Please, uh, <laughs> I, I please continue. <laughs> um, so the, the second part of the equipment is the Quiver of Abyssal Depths. Um, Basically, it's just a, a free remembrance uh, that you're you're going to be using. I didn't. I don't use it very often. Uh, you you play it in every matchup because there's no reason not to. But uh, there are really only a few matchups where you end up needing the the quiver, and that's into something like uh, Dorinthia on X on Decimator, Azuri, um, <clears throat> Arachne, Bravo. Heroes that just want to block you all day and think they're going to fatigue you. Um, the quiver comes in handy and be able to give, you, give yourself more threats at the end of the game. Putting more reds into your deck at the end of the game is really powerful. Um, and then outside, of, after that, uh, we're going to go with um, Crown Providence is what I used. Um, the I could have probably tested Arcanite Skullcap for this build a little bit more. Um, you do have Trenches of Sunken Treasure, which is a very um, good defensive piece. And I think one of the reasons why you would maybe run Arcanite Skullcap in this build over Crown of Providence is that you get three block out of the Arcanite Skullcap, which is you know basically two on hits that you get to block, whereas Crown only gives you that one. But there were times where drawing a fifth card or trading your arsenal into a fifth card felt really good um, to be able to either keep tempo or fi find another blocking card for the turn. Um, so I think that you could go either way on those on those two helmets. Um, but that's what I chose for this build. Um, the next piece is uh, the Trench of the Sunken Treasure, which is the one AB in the deck. Uh, it also blocks for one. But ultimately, its super powerful ability is um, turning a face down card in your arsenal into a resource. So just sweeping it on to the bottom of the deck, which is um, where his pitch stacking power can come from. Cause you can pretty much load whatever you want uh, into the arsenal and sweep it away. So somebody attacks you with a command and conquer, which is a Rangers 
uh, Bane, you're not threatened by it a lot of the time. And quite often in matches, I just took six from the CNC because I wanted to play out my turn. Um, so then not losing a card felt really good. Yeah, Trench is just honestly the best card in the deck. Um, and it also can give you a resource faster than Tunic because you can get a resource from it every turn, uh, which is, again, really powerful. Helps turn on the bow, load an arrow that's a zero cost, and then you get to fire it. Um, so, yeah, super good. Um, and I think the one last piece that we can talk about here that is spicy is um, Cracker Jacks. Um, so this deck was um, built for ProQuest Season 4 when um, Bullseye Bracer was banned. Right. So at the time, the consideration was Bracers of Belief, Hornet Sting, and Cracker Jacks. Um, since it was, uh, Bright Lights came out, lots of people were playing Mechanologists. I was originally on Hornet Sting, and I kept getting T-boned. Uh, Max would set up three T-bones and just take all of my armor. And when Riptide, you really want to hang on to your trench for as long as possible, because once you lose the trench from like a T-bone or a block, you can't just arsenal traps willy-nilly. Because um, if your opponent doesn't attack you and you have a trap in there, you just completely take a turn off and lose all momentum, and that's quite bad for him um braces of belief was um a choice but i found it in the early version of the deck i had up to basically 26 pitch cards in the deck uh between like 10 blues and then up to 16 yellows and so it was quite often just hitting um a yellow off of the top um so and it showed my opponent information it gave them that was the most critical piece it could show them a super key trap like collapsing trap or something that was very detrimental they knew was coming and part of um what makes riptide good is your opponent doesn't know what you're going to do on any given turn because you have so many different types of cards in your deck um so i ended up settling on cracker jest Cracker Jacks because it had zero blocks, so it could be the first card I put up against a T-Bone. Yep. And its ability gives any attack action card plus one. So it's not just arrow focused, and in the deck list there is 12 attacks like Command and Conquers, E-Strikes. So I can turn a Death Touch or a Command and Conquer into a 7 or 10 uh, value attack, which is really powerful late game. Um, just even getting one that command and conquer for seven in the late game getting an extra card or a piece of equipment out of your opponent is super huge um so that's why i ultimately settled on cracker jacks no that makes a lot of sense uh, for all those reasons uh we also skipped over uh perch grapplers is that mostly just a, a it's just block, block. Too? yeah okay, sorry yeah it's it. just blocked there's uh nothing more to it than um the blocking value there again you can make an argument for snaps just depends on how you want to play the deck uh right. again this deck can actually be played aggressively right uh, which is one of the things i like about it is it's not just defense focused uh right so I, there could be a merit for for that um but i didn't get a lot of time to test um bracers of belief or snapdragons before i settled on this deck for the pq season so definitely something to consider. Makes sense. Um, 
the first group I'd like to go into, I guess, is um, arrows. Um, so for this list, these are the, the arrows that I settled on. Um, five infecting shots, uh, three remorselesses, two endless arrows, uh, two searing shots, three infecting shots. If we can get them into the camera, six bolt-in shots, three, two falcon wings, and two battering bolts. And that was uh, three intoxicating shots, right? Three intoxicating shots, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, uh, as far as arrows, some of them I think are pretty straightforward. Infecting shots are just damage. Again, we don't have a weapon, so we have to find ways to push damage. So if an opponent doesn't want to block, here's two free damage, which will take all day long. Um, endless arrow helps with the fatigue, I guess. If people don't want to block, we can we get our arrow back, which gives you a resource for the next turn if you need it. Sometimes you get put in a weird situation where your opponent attacks you and you block a certain way and you're left with um, essentially like a pump and endless arrow and a trap that you didn't want to use. And I found when I would attack with just an endless arrow and I would have a, a trap in my hand, I actually kind of didn't want them to um, take the endless arrow because I wanted the trap to go into arsenal. And if they let it hit, then I'd have to make the decision on do I want an arrow in my arsenal or do I want the trap in my arsenal? And again, that's one of those micro decisions that I was kind of talking about that um, you have to decide. And I can't say what the better play is. It just kind of depends on the state of the game uh, and how it's going. I would say probably if you are on the defense of the next turn because your opponent took the brunt of the damage, you probably want to arsenal the trap. But maybe you want to not, and you want to just be able to send four back on the following turn even because you know you're going to block out. So again, uh, very difficult decisions, but kind of get a feel for it when you play the deck. Um Two Searing Shots was just, again, more damage. Uh, if your opponent doesn't want to take it, it's one free point of value. The the Bolton Shots and the Falcon Wings are part of a small go-again package that the, the deck has. Uh, ultimately, I started the PQ season with three Falcon Wings, and I dropped it down to two for the Battle Hardened because I felt that um, there was another card that I wanted to add that I kept complaining about that I didn't have for late game. Um, so I ended up cutting um, one of the Falcon Wings for it. Um, intoxicating Shot is a really good arrow and a really bad arrow. Still learning the nuances behind this arrow. Um, this arrow is a Riptide Specialization. It's a blue, it blocks for three, uh, attacks for four, it's a zero cost. But it has the text of when this hits a hero, they create a courage token and a quicken token. So if this hits your opponent, you're giving them plus one on their next attack and go again. And that sounds really bad on the surface. And for those that don't know, that turns on all of Riptide traps. And that's why it's really um, encouraging for Riptide to play because you, even if opponent knows that... Uh, what Riptide's traps do, and they're trying to go around them, you can present this at them, and maybe they want to take it. Maybe you can kind of get them to change their game plan so that they get these buffs. But then you also get, you know, if you can line it up with your traps maybe in the second cycle or get lucky in the first cycle because you haven't seen any of your traps 
um, ways to trigger uh, your traps. So some people like it, some people don't. I think it has a decent spot in the deck because, again, it's a 0 for 4. It's a blue. Um, this list only has five blues in it, or sorry, six blues in it. And there are definitely times where it needs more pitch because um, it struggles to play like a battering bolt uh, from hand. Uh, you would need one to load it and two to fire the battering bolt. And that was actually really hard to come by. Um, so the blues, uh, I could actually use a higher blue count, I think. Um, but I do like it. But be careful because if you are in the early to mid game and you haven't seen your opponent play any Command and Conquers, they might just take an intoxicating shot to attack you with Command and Conquer for seven go again. And that's really bad. Yeah, because that turns off your traps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't block Ouch. when you're when you're in your seventeen to twenty some traps, uh, and yeah. then you get C and C. That's pretty rough. Um, and then the last arrow is battering bolt. This is uh, matchup specific, so this is a sideboard arrow, um, but uh, it's like a popper if you need to be a popper, as well as in certain matchups like Bravo and Dorinthia, and even some ninja matchups where they have uh, attack reactions and instants this card can destroy their hand if they can't block. And even if they do, they're now left with an instant and, you know, maybe nothing else to do on their turn. So it's very powerful in certain matchups. So this is a sideboard card. Um, I guess we didn't cover Remorseless. This is uh, the MVP of all arrows. Um, this is a must three of in Riptide, as far as I'm concerned. Um, because in combination with Dreadbore, um, your opponent cannot play any defense reactions. Uh, Remorseless stops defense reactions from being played from Arsenal, with Dreadbore stops them from hand. So it's you usually either get damage through or they give you their hand and they don't have a turn anymore. Um, and that's another thing with Riptide. If Remorseless hits, then you're getting free value off the Remorseless trigger as they play action cards on their turn which is damage, again, that Riptide needs to do. So, yeah, um, that's what about the arrow package. Any questions? No, this is, this is great. Um, and, I mean, one thing about arrows that is so powerful is I think every arrow in this game blocks for three. Yes. Uh, which is quite unusual for, you know, attacks like Falcon Wing and Bolton shots, attacks that either unconditionally or can easily, quote-unquote, gain go-again. Yep. Most go-again attacks in this game, like think about your ninja combo starters or scar for a scar, you know, meeps, like what, whatever you want. Uh, those all block for two, so it's, uh, yeah. Just yep. to have a powerful offensive suite of arrows that also can block well is... Uh, a strength of, of every ranger, I think, and exemplified here with Riptide. Yeah, and I didn't really go over Bolton Shot. Um, again, with Dreadbore, it gives it the automatic plus one, so you use the bow action to load it, but it turns on the go again and the reload ability for Bolton Shot. Right. And one of the fun, I guess, mind games that you get to present as Riptide is if you play a Bolton Shot, um, and you have one card in hand, your opponent has to decide whether or not you can use that card in your hand. Is it a trap? Is it a zero-cost arrow? Uh, what is it? And right. yeah, so it puts them in the difficult decision of deciding what they need to do, uh, how to block. 
uh, right. and, I, and I quite enjoy putting that onus on my opponent. So that's uh, a powerful tool that's really hard to quantify, I think, in this deck, is what what Bolton Shot is giving you. Uh, most of the time, uh, a lot of people take it because it is vanilla damage, but quite often you'll get cards out of people's hand because they don't want the reload. And honestly, as with Riptide, I'll take anything. If I get cards out of your hand, that's great. That means you're presenting less at me. And if I get damage in, great. That's giving me damage that I can't necessarily guarantee to put on the table. Yeah. No, thanks. That makes sense to me. So the next um, set of uh, cards to go over is the attack actions. Um, so there was 25 arrows in this list, and there is 12 attack actions. Um, the attack actions are almost always in the deck. Um, so we have Command and Conquer, a uh, staple of, of a lot of decks. Again, uh, it's good everywhere. There's no reason to not have it. Um, Enlightened Strike. This is a really fun card in this deck. So playing it from hand allows you to load uh, an arrow from Riptide's ability. So you can take the go again if you have a full grip. You, um, yeah, give a go again, fire an arrow. Nine, nine damage without doing too much work. Um, there are some pumps in the deck that like scout the periphery and premeditate where you can uh, play them from hand, load the enlightened strike, and then swing an enlightened strike for 10 damage is, is pretty good. Um, as well as the, the draw a card is also very useful. You can just play enlightened strike for five draw a card because um, there's a good chance it's going to be a trap or a defense reaction or even a zero cost arrow, something that you can play the following turn. And you just get to arsenal it. And if it's something that's useless because of the trench of the sunken treasure, you get to get a resource out of it. So it's hard to say what mode you're going to use out of Enlightened Strike, but this is probably one of the decks that is most flexible on the modes that you can choose from Enlightened Strike. And I really like that. Um, part of the Go Again package is uh, the Ravenous Rabble. So we're very low on pitch count in this deck. So quite often... As long as you're not me, uh, Ravenous Rabble will attack for four, go again. And again, it's another play from hand, load an arrow uh, into your arsenal, and then fire. So, you know, you get to present, you know, eight, eight or nine damage again on two cards, which is, uh, again, really good rate. Um, then we come to uh, Death Touch. So you, one of the attacks that you can only be played from arsenal and if it hits your opponent, you get to give them one of the three afflictions. Always gets blocked. Um, nobody ever wants to see an affliction, a frailty, or an inertia. Uh, great codex target. Uh, it's a popper if you need it to be a popper. Um, again, with Riptide's ability, it's not hard to get this into Arsenal and play it on the same turn. Uh, so really good value there. Uh, and then the last attack is his little brother, uh, Virulent Touch. In the, I didn't have this in the ProQuest that I played the deck at, but I found myself wanting it the whole time that I was there. And because every almost every game went to fatigue or time. And when your opponent is pressuring you, which happens quite often in Riptide, you don't get a lot of space to swing back. So when you can hang on to a Codex of Frailty, you can pull this out of the graveyard and attack with it and present four or two damage 
off of um, nothing. And that was really powerful. Like it was a way to potentially push damage during the end game when you're under pressure and you only have space to like hang on to one card. So I found um, I really like this card uh, because all my games went late. Yeah, just uh, the no-win situation that you're putting your opponent in. Um, Even if they full block it and keep a a blue to pitch for the the blood rot, that's three cards out of their hand. um, And that really takes the pressure off, like you said, in the late game. Assuming they're low, they can't afford to leak Mm -hmm. it. and They're they're trying to close it out against you. So yeah, that's a pretty pretty cool one-off, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those cards that feel like a tempo swing card like it's innocuous at first but then you play against it and you're like you're you put your opponent in a position where they're like i'm gonna lose tempo because of one card because of what it's doing uh it's one of those things i always felt into lexi when they um, play endless arrow you're like well i don't want to give this card back to you because it means you're gonna have a three arrow turn the next turn yeah i feel like uh this virulent touch does sort of that thing that puts your opponent in a no-win situation, right? Um, and gives you you know space to sort of claw back or get tempo back. No, that all makes makes sense to me. And man, just uh, being able to load a death touch with Riptide's ability and send it that same turn after a go again attack seems pretty good to me. Yeah, playing premeditate into death touch for nine. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like yeah. it a lot. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, next is the pump package, I guess, or buffs. Um, premeditate and scout the periphery because they, well, premeditate's busted. We all know getting a ponder is really good. Um, but these six pumps um, target basically anything in the deck because you play them from hand and then you load a command and conquer and e-strike or an arrow and they get the plus three buff yep the um and then again people don't like giving riptide ponder tokens so they quite often will block the attack uh, which again is good and scout the periphery ability is not super impactful i almost always look at my opponent's deck because there's nothing you can do with the top of your own deck so just gaining, you know, uh, information on what your opponent has access to the next turn um, can be powerful, but ultimately it was never like game breaking or anything like that. But still a, a nice, nice to have. Uh, Lace of Blood Rot, just damage. Uh, again, giving your opponent um, more things to think about, whether or not they want to take damage. Yep. Um, is good. Um, Seek and Destroy. I found that this one's hard to measure whether or not it's good. Um, a lot of people don't like the effect, so they'll block it. Um, or it, they won't block it and they just send, send everything. Where I find it, I think it's going to be important um, in playing Riptide that um, he's going to he struggles into decks that like Max and Bolton and which doesn't sound like he should because they pump, they have go-agains, and you're like, well, this everything Riptide wants his opponent to do, play aggro, pump, go wide, awesome. But what those two decks specifically do is they set up a combo, uh, and ultimately a w- I win the game combo, and Riptide cannot pressure them enough to make them block if they don't want to, so he can't end the game fast enough, which then gives them space to find their pieces. So Seek and Destroy kind of helps 
I guess in a way to either pressure their hand or, you know, it's a potential way to get rid of their arsenal. So that's kind of why it was in the deck. It's maybe something that could come out. We'll see. Um, it's, you know, uh, just kind of is what it is. Uh, and then the last of the pumps is release the tension. Um, and for those that are not familiar with release the tension, it's a, a plus rebuff to your next arrow attack. And defense reactions can't be played from the arsenal, this chain link. So it's similar to remorseless in that you get to basically put a remorseless effect on an arrow. Now, the reason it's in this deck is it's primarily in the deck for those decks that want to block and not play the game. So Bravo, uh, Dorinthia. This is something that I was trying to unsuccessfully pitch stack for late games. Uh, find like an endless arrow and put a release attention with it and gum up your opponent, uh, their hand and their arsenal. And if you could um, line it up with a seek and destroy, that's a really powerful turn. Um, I wasn't able to do it, but that is the, I guess, theory behind having release attention in the deck. And I think it stays in the deck and I might even increase it uh, going forward, um, depending on how the meta shakes up. Yeah, the, the cool thing about Riptide, again, with all these go-again buffs is you play one, you get to load your arrow for free. And a yep. lot of these buffs are, are zero cost, not all of them. But yeah, you can play out a very, very efficient turn, not mm -hmm. having to, to pay to load. Yep. And that's why we have arrows like Endless Arrow and um, Searing Shot in the deck, yep. uh, is to get a little bit of extra value off the, the those Cheerios hands. Yep. We're going to move into, I guess, utility cards is what I would call them. Um, there's not very many. So number one, Codex of Frailty needs no introduction. Um, giving Lexis and Ninjas Frailty tokens, giving yourself a trap or a resource for the following turn. Very powerful. Um, this is getting a death touch out of graveyard if you have a spare resource, or like I said, if you're in touch for the late game, or an endless arrow in the mid game to again give you a resource for the following turn. Very good, very powerful. I don't think anybody's going to disagree that this is one of the best cards in the deck. Um, along with that, I, I had two sigils. I would really love to get a third sigil into the list um, because you do spend a lot of time blocking um, and. It, into certain heroes like Dash with their symbi symbiosis shot where they're presenting two damage or uh, Tecoplasma Pistol. Um, you know, getting three health and not having to block is a better better trade. Because it's uh, an instant, you can play it from hand anytime you want. So you get to do combat tricks on both offense and defense with Sigil of Solace. So if you're um, defending, you can play Sigil of Solace and load a Crucible Trap out of into Arsenal and play it. You can, um, on offense, it's a way for you to put like a Death Touch or an Arrow into hand. Again, it's not having to spend the Sigil as a resource to load it with the bow. Uh, and again, if it's like a Virulent Touch, you can just play it, load the Virulent Touch, and attack. So very powerful, very tricksy things that you can do uh, with Sigil. Sorry, I'm just thinking about uh, Codex of Frailty. And a few people have heard me tell this story, and I'm going to tell it again for those that listen to this. Part of what makes 
Codex of Frailty really good with Riptide is playing it out of hand. Um, wizards are familiar with holding priority, but when you play Codex, Riptide's um, top ability triggers before Codex resolves. So you can play Codex of Frailty out of hand, load any card from your hand before Codex of Frailty triggers, use the Trench of the Sunken Treasure instant ability to gain a resource. So if you have spare cards in your hand, you can play Codex, load, trench, get a resource, grab a one-cost attack out of your graveyard, and play it. So like a Death Touch or um, an Infecting Shot. And that's kind of one of the, the plays that I did quite a bit throughout my time with the deck was um, sort of maximize getting a one-cost out of my graveyard if I could. Yeah, instant speed is so powerful in Flesh and Blood. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just being able to codex and not have to discard your card, but sink it to the bottom and get a resource. Yeah. Um, as long as there's no other cards in your hand, of yeah. course. Yeah, that's uh, that's super powerful. And part of why that's powerful, I know, uh, you know, Lexi players might be familiar with pitching uh, a card to loading Voltaire and then not activating Voltaire and then having a resource or two resources floating if they pitched a yellow or a blue, well, this way you can actually use a red and still get a resource. So if you had a yellow or a blue, you could do the old bow trick if you wanted to. Um, but if you have a red, you can still get a resource, which is, again, very powerful in this deck that the other rangers can't necessarily do. Um, after Sigils, we have one Oasis. This was originally a tripwire trap, but after getting smoked by... Uh, wizards I decided to just throw a one of Oasis just on the off chance uh, we could uh, get there um, so that's why that's in there also it's good into dominated attacks uh, so and you can play it from hand again triggering Riptide so again more combat tricks that you can do I did find that a lot of time I was left with uh, trenching away a card to avoid uh, a CNC or for whatever reason and you know, that resource went to waste. So this was kind of one of the ways to spend that resource. Um, something I consider moving up to two of in the future again, uh, just to be a little bit more efficient with your resources. Okay. Uh, Interesting. And then the, yeah. And then the last card we have in this category is Remembrance. Uh, because this turned out to be a fatigue deck um, in the end, uh, and knowing that there's Bravos and uh, Dromais and Dorinthias out there, this was just another way to get three more valuable cards um, into the deck for, for late game. I used it once, I think, in, in over over the events uh, against, again, a, a Decimator Dory. But it's just a safety net to not lose to your own fatigue matchups. Right. So that's it for those utility cards. And I guess we're going to come to um, the traps at this point and defense reactions. Um, starting with the Crucible traps. So um, again, I had at one event, I had two tripwire traps and two pitfall traps. And then I went down. To, I had traded one tripwire for an Oasis. So this is just like a kind of a dealer's pick. Tripwire Trap is primarily in for uh, Bravo, just to 
um, get a little bit extra block and turn off his on hits because a lot of time he's resource starved if he's trying to dominate attack. So the tripwire trap can stop you from taking a, a spinal crush or a crippling crush depending on how Bravo's had to pitch for it. Pitfall trap. Um, I love this trap. Um, I try my hardest to make sure I get six points of value out of this bad boy. Um, I will wait to the end of a combat chain to make sure that my opponent has no resources to try and get those two extra points so that they can't pay for it. Uh, sometimes it bites you in the butt. Uh, sometimes you end up trenching it away on the following turn. Um, so I don't know what the right play is. Again, it's all contextual to the state of the game, but I definitely try really hard because when you get to block for three and then send three back, that is very, you know, very good value trade. Um, you're kind of seeing a theme across the whole deck is it is a numbers game with him and you're trying to get uh, those incremental advantages over your point oh, over your opponent on a game by game um so the next set of traps are go again traps so for people that are not familiar with riptide he has um essentially four types of traps he has uh, the crucible traps that when played from arsenal always do a damage he has a set of traps that trigger off of go again attacks he's a set of traps that trigger off of buffed attacks and he has a set of traps that trigger off of reactions so in the go again um trap we play all of them uh, in the deck list almost every aggro well every aggro is going wide again this was a lexi meta deck um so these always went into lexi they go in against um mechanologists they go in against ninjas almost everybody has some sort of go wide if you're even feeling saucy you could put it in against bravo if you know they're an aggro bravo um their like frailty is unbelievably good into lexi um i know we're out of the lexi meta but there were times where um a codex a frailty turn before happened, giving them a frailty and then playing a codec, uh, frailty trap on their turn, giving them two frailties stops them from attacking. Uh, it's unbelievable uh, tempo swing. Um, and you, you can do that into um, dash. If she's got a high octane turn, you can potentially stop them from swinging their symbiosis shot for 12 damage, put it down to six. That's there's like just so many points of value there. Tarpit trap turning off a, uh, Attack action card on hits, really good. Um, most of the time, I felt it was semi-irrelevant. We were blocking a three or five attack with two cards, turning it off anyways. But again, getting the one damage from Riptide's ability as well as blocking for three. So turning a yellow into you know, four points of value is pretty good. Collapsing Trap. Um, again, probably one of the best cards in the deck. Um, you... The problem with traps, I guess, is that you can't necessarily hold on to them forever um, and wait for the perfect moment to play a uh, trap because a uh, ranger really needs his arsenal to do anything. So sometimes you play collapsing trap for against one or two cards. Um, and those that are not familiar with it, if it defends an attack that has go again, your opponent discards their hand and draws one less. So if they attack you, with an attack action and pitch a card, they have two cards left in their hand, potentially. Um, this will get rid of those two cards that they may be crafted, uh, and then they'll only be remaining with one card. So they may have taken a bunch of damage on the last turn to keep this hand. 
and Collapsing Trap just destroys that hand. This card is, I've never had anybody go draw less cards and be like, oh man, this turned out really good for me. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's always in the deck. It never comes out. Um, at, at worst case scenario, it's a blue block three. And and milling your opponent is a, a yeah. win condition for this deck. So, I mean, that's directly advancing your, your pathway to victory. Yeah, totally. So after the go-again traps, we have um, the buff traps. Uh, this is where we had to start cutting uh, traps, figuring out what we're going to be using, I guess. So I only cut one inertia trap from the list. These feel less impactful than the go-again traps. The, the effects aren't as um, devastating in the current meta, I don't think. Inertia Trap, again, didn't really ever feel like it was doing more than blocking for three and doing one damage to my opponent. Um, very rarely did Inertia um, actually get uh, like an arsenal card from my opponent. Uh, they see that um, early enough in the turn, then they plan the rest of their turn around not being hit by the Inertia token. So I didn't feel like I needed three of them. Um, Boulder Trap um, puts a minus one counter on your opponent's equipment. This can be very good into Dash, into Bravo, into Dory, because they have so much block value. Um, you can negate um, two, two or four points of armor blocking with a couple of these early enough in the game. Again, really good. Allows Riptide to push damage through the mid and the late game, getting rid of the, the armor. Um, again, Buzzsaw Trap, very good. A lot of the time, it ended up blocking with another card anyways. Um so not super impactful a lot of the time, but into something like Arachne or Azuri where you, or Dorinthia where you know they're going to buff stuff or buff attacks, um, you can get some cheeky plays off and maybe take less damage. Uh, really good into Dorinthia if she's with Dawnblade that you can get. Um, it'll help just take counters off Dawnblade uh, with this and another card. Um, and then you can reset the the, the game with with Buzzsaw Trap. Yeah, I've I've seen some screenshots on Talishar with like some sixteen buffed attack that just uh, goes to three with uh, with Buzzsaw. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> it's it can be pretty gross. I would yeah. like it's definitely like has the potential to be like a busted card, um, but I would say most of the time it's you know only knocking up to plus three off of an attack. That's okay. It's still still doing its thing. Yep, still uh, blocking six with one card in yep. that case. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the last one is, again, in this current meta, not a lot of attack reaction decks. Uh, so Spike Pit Trap uh, is in the deck, and that is whenever your opponent plays an attack reaction, um, you can play this trap, and they discard the top card of their deck. And then you go through the graveyard, and for every card that has the same name, uh, Spike Pit Trap will do one damage. So if you trigger it, Riptide's already doing one, and then it's going to do one from the card it flipped. So at worst, this trap is blocking for three and dealing two damage. Um, it can go up as high as t 10 damage, I guess, if you're lucky. Um, I was able to get five points of value against a... Or sorry, five damage against a, a dash. Uh, I got a throttle, and there was three other throttles. So again, pretty good it did. Was that seven damage? Eight damage, so it's yeah, pretty, it's pretty decent. Good. Yeah, from one um, card. This is a sideboard card. It sits out most of the time. You bring it in against Warrior, um, maybe a Bravo, 
and you know assassins but yeah it's there because uh, it's a legendary trap and it can do busted things so i think that concludes the deck itself um that's yeah. what i took uh to a battle hardened and a pq um so i don't know high level what changes now that so we we've been through the deck that you brought to the pq season and also to battle hardened uh vancouver which you did very well at i think you were 18th yeah i event. finished 18th and as yeah. having two person battle hardened yeah uh really good um especially for for riptide but really good on on any deck um would you consider doing something like bringing back bullseye bracers or how would you tailor the deck now that lexi is out and bullseye is back on the table like what's what are you brewing with now um so i haven't touched the deck since but i would consider um uh bullseye bracer is just as good as cracker jacks um, this is a dealer's choice thing because bullseye bracer only affects um, arrows, but it can yep. load an arrow from hand. So that it, that's really good. Um, Cracker Jacks is affects any attack in the deck. So they're both plus one. Um, it's where you think you're going to, I guess, get the most value or most efficiency or plays that you like by using one of those two cards. Um then the other consideration, because this is a fatigue deck, is actually Iron Hide Gauntlets. Um, I mentioned earlier that um, I left resources floating quite often in games from trenching away due to uh, a Command Conquer. Yeah. Well, um, again, it's a zero block for all the, the T-bones running around, and this is a way to spend that uh, one resource to give you two more life, essentially. So I would consider any of these three options going forward. Um, I think they're all fine, and I don't think anyone has a benefit over the other that stands out. Okay, nope, that that makes sense. Um, other cards to consider. Uh, people might ask me why I am not playing New Horizon. Um, I tried it. Um, if you're going to run New Horizon, you're going to run uh, three Heat Seekers. Um, but again, I'm not running uh, Death Dealer. So it's just Dreadbore. So the only way to get two cards in Arsenal is either Heatseeker hitting and um, Codex of Frailty. So your Ponder triggers is the only way you're going to get two cards in Arsenal and set up some six-card attack. I personally found that with the amount of defense reactions in the deck that getting a face-up um, defense reaction can be kind of detrimental obviously it's showing face to your opponent and they have to work around it um, but i did play in against an icelander and he let heat seeker hit and i had uh put a trap there face up and it was literally stuck there all game and i was stuck to one arsenal for the entire game um still able to play through the game but um it, you know it basically handicapped me for the rest of the game so i don't like cards that can basically screw you on the spot Right. And that's what I felt Heat Seeker was doing uh, to me. So that's a consideration. Uh, some people might like the play pattern of it. I just, you have to th think more about your decisions and the game state if you're going to do New Horizon and Heat Seeker. Um, are there and, any other cards that are in the maybe list? or? That yeah, I have a few. 
a few yeah. actually. Um, so I have Codex of Inertia and Sedation Shot. I haven't tried these, but again, talking about heroes that have uh, combo win game plans. So whether it be Icelander, whether it be Max or Bolton, or anybody else that likes to sit uh, a card in Arsenal, maybe a Fi with a Art of War or whatever they're running. Codex of Inertia is a way to basically guarantee that your opponent either has to play that card or lose it. Whereas something like Seek and Destroy or Sedation Shot are on hits that they can potentially stop and just wait for another turn. Um, but these are some cards I'm considering if you know those Arsenal heroes um, become predominant, I guess. Um, so that's what I would consider if that's becoming a problem uh, in your in your meta. Uh, we can always do the spicy one of Razor Reflex. Uh, I did have it again early, but I cut it due to this version of the deck being very light on resources. With there only being up to six blues in the deck, you are, you know, you need one resource to load off of the bow potentially or fire, and then you have to have one for the Razor Reflex. So a lot of times it wasn't easy to play the Razor. So that also means that you're stuck not blocking that turn because you're holding on to cards for resources or the the razor. So something to play around with. Um, and then I, I mentioned that maybe I would stick another Oasis in as well. So those are the cards that I'm considering currently. Um, yeah, no, not that... sure. Got to do some more do some more testing. Yeah, no that that makes a lot of sense and. I guess the, the last part that we can go into here is sideboarding, and we will provide the link to your deck um, on February with all the matchups included. But I guess when it comes to sideboarding, I guess what uh, what's your philosophy here? Like, do you have just a, a general package uh, and different things come in and out? Kind of. So I was very loose in the events with my sideboarding i actually didn't have an actual sideboard guide for myself um basically i strip out all of the traps and the cards that you see here plus the battering bolts and that's the active sideboard i guess um so and then so we're showing two release this tension, one tripwire trap, two battering bolts, one oasis, one spike pit, and remembrance. Yeah, and then all yeah. of the traps. And all of the traps, okay. Yeah. And you assess, I guess, who you're playing against. Are they a go wide? Are they a pump hero? Are they both? Um, and then kind of decide what you want to put in for traps. And then... Do you need the utility of these cards that I've set out, like the battering bolt or the release of the tension? Do you need to push damage? There is no hard and fast rule, I, I think, for a hero like Riptide, where you sure. um, have to be on 60 cards. You actually don't want to be on 60 cards. I think only in a handful of matchups, Icelander, Max, and again, maybe Bolton, that you want to be as close to 60 because... Um, you in the aggro matchups that are setting up a combo win state, you actually don't want to block. You don't want to be necessarily trying to trigger every single trap. You need to present damage and kill them before they can get their combo off. 
that's kind of my theory behind it. So I would be putting in like the release tension and taking traps out that I don't necessarily need to get as close to 60 so that I can pressure them with damage. Sure. But outside of that, I probably played 64 to 68 cards in almost every matchup. Um, the one thing that I learned with this deck, and this is going to sound kind of ridiculous when I say it, but it makes sense. The blocking cards are the blocking cards, and the attack cards are the attacks. In traditional decks, you can block with your attacks, and you can pitch them to be your weapon. But in this deck that doesn't have a weapon, that doesn't have a guaranteed way to present damage, you have to use your threats as threats, and it hurts to give them up. So you kind of want to be blocking with your blocking cards. But on the other side of the coin, you want to pitch your traps for late game so that they can be a win condition. And you're also okay with blocking because you can play really efficiently off of two card hands or one card hands or take a turn off because your opponent has a big blowout turn. Uh, and you're playing above 60 cards, so you can give more cards up to blocking. Right. So... Every card is useful on every on, on those situations, but I think most of the time you want to be able to present your attacks as attacks. You know, there's going to be times where you draw three attacks in your hand. Well, that's a fine. You just block with, you know, the the ones that you can't use. But if you can block with your blocking cards and present, a, you know, meaningful attacks, you'll get cards out of your opponent's hand or you'll be achieving what you need to do anyways, and that's chipping away their life. That, that makes sense. And I guess just from a matchup perspective, Lexi's god now. Yeah. What are the matchups which you feel the most comfortable in uh, playing Riptide now? What do you want to see across Those the Riptide, table from you? You still want to see aggro. He's very good into aggro. Um, it just all, turns on all of his traps, so you get value from your traps. They don't want to block, so your arrows that usually have meaningful on hits can go through. Um, you don't want to see Illusionist. You don't want to see Wizard. Those are, in this deck list, those are auto losses. You might I, I hate to say it, and I don't, <laughs> I never do it, but you might as well just pack up and go have lunch. Um, into something like Kano, you can't present more than like 9 or 10 damage on a turn if you're lucky. And they just get to block and set up their combo turn. They have all the space in the world to just kill you. Dromai, you don't have enough go, go wide. You don't have a, a weapon to kill dragons. There is, you know, in this list, there's seven poppers plus a remembrance. So in the Dromai matchup, if she finds or break the embers, I think the game's pretty much over. So, But you want to try and race Dromai. Um, one thing that I've been meaning to mention while I've been talking is my list has 17 traps and six pieces of equipment. One of my theories was that I wanted it to be kind of close to 14 traps. I know it's less damage in other matchups, but in the matchups like Dromai and Icelander or Wizard, traps don't do anything. And so being close to 14 plus your six pieces of equipment is your... 20 cards that are not in the deck. And so if I could not have traps in the deck, because you they, they're useless against Dromai, they don't trigger because they're allies that are attacking her, that you have 60 meaningful cards or close to 60 meaningful cards in the deck to give yourself a fighting chance. So like 
I know I said get up and walk away, but if you're in a top eight or a top four of an event, you're not going to just pack up your <laughs> your cards because you're up against a drumite. You got to play it out. So, um, you know, that's kind of the theory behind trying to be able to play into those matchups. Um, and then I guess kind of one of the other elephants in the room are those Bravos and Azuris and Decimator Dories that do the block nine swing four. Um, into those matchups, you're literally throwing every card in the deck because, again, the blocking cards need to block and the attacking cards need to attack. And you get Remembrance and you have the Quiver to get more cards in deck than your opponent. Um, there is no strategy. If they just want to sit there, block and swing, or just block, there is no strategy to force damage. Again, other than pitch stacking a Battering Bolt or release attention with um, you know, another relevant buff and that's why they're in there is to um push through damage i have yet to actually go into a matchup where an opponent refuses to play the game um i did have a fatigue azuri and a fatigue dash do it but sometimes they just find hands that they don't want to block with and those are your windows to get damage in um going back to the the, the block nines again you just this list I found very good at being able to present damage um, all the time uh, because you can use the, if they're not going to block, you can use your defensive cards as pitch fodder for the turn. Um, playing into very defensive decks, I was able to get armor, almost all my opponents armor very early in the games because uh, I was playing like a premeditate into an E-strike into uh, like an infecting shot or an endless arrow and they can't block all of that so you start to get some of the armor and if you can set up like a double blood rod attack uh you get you get more armor and more cards and again you're presenting uh less cards than they are blocking with so you're slowly fatiguing them out and since that you've put in 74 cards into your deck you got lots of room to play with um expending cards yeah, it's not just that. Ranger cards have a deceptively high amount of beef, like one card for seven damage between yep. your Dreadbore and your Battering Bolt, or you know, one card threatening six damage with your Infecting Shot with the Dreadbore. Like, mm-hmm. you you have a lot of ways for your cards to be worth more than three on offense. I mean, you yep. have the one for four pumps that threaten four on offense um so yeah between that and the remembrance and the quiver and it, it, it's no surprise that you're fatiguing the decks that are supposed to fatigue you yep that's definitely a thing that i found throughout playing them over over the events that it's it's a both way fatigue like you again like you said you can block or you can present damage and and that seven damage leaks one damage or it leaks four damage um, and you get that over enough cycles, you uh, eventually you know can, can close out a game or get close to closing out. I will say that um, you play to 55 minutes every game almost, uh, unless yep. you get blown up by a wizard or something. So uh, be mentally prepared to have a very long day because yep. uh, you are playing to the fullest. And it does get stressful because you get called, you got judges, uh, judge watching uh, for final turns. You have people watching you because you're the only game left you know that you have to de-sideboard and get ready for the next round. So it can be a little bit stressful to play this uh, style of deck 
Um, but I definitely do enjoy the the tactics behind it and playing uh, for the the long game. Yeah, yeah, and and that's something you get used to as a former Olden player. You, <laughs> yeah. you get used to it. <laughs> All right. Well, that this was really thorough, and um, you know, not only talking about the cards, but a lot of the mentality of the tactics and the tricks. So, really appreciate the insight, Shay. Is there anything, any final thoughts before we uh, we sign off on this deck tech? No, I don't think so. If anybody wants to reach out on to uh, to me on Discord, I'm at Agarflame. I'll be happy to answer any questions or talk about cards, whatever. Uh, it's a really fun deck to, to play. So if you like Rangers, I would definitely give it a try. Or if you like to, I guess, play the fatigue game or the long game, definitely worth a try. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry. Actually, there is one thing. Um, you you are a slave to Jem. Um, kind of we talked about Dromize and Illusionists and Wizards. If you get bad matchups, it is not a fun day. But if you get good matchups... Um, I got good matchups while I was playing this deck, and I don't think I've ever had as much fun playing a deck. Um, sitting down, telling your opponent that you're playing Riptide, and they're like, what, you're playing Riptide? And the tables beside you are being like, what, you're playing Riptide? I can't wait to see this. Hearing them say, I don't have a sideboard plan for you. I don't know. I just really like those moments. And yeah. I'm a very social person when I play, so now I get to have a conversation with the people beside me, the people with my opponent, or like my opponent, and it kind of, for me, takes some of that serious tone down from some of these bigger events and makes it a bit more fun and inviting and engaging with, you know, like I said, my opponent or the people around me. And that's part of why I ended up really enjoying this deck. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And I'm very excited to see how this deck evolves over time. And I like how there's different tools for, for different metas. And yeah, I'm looking forward to to what you can do with, uh, with this deck uh, <laughs> yeah. moving forward. Um, yeah, on the behalf of both of us here at the IP2 podcast, uh, if you like this, uh, please let us know and uh, feel free to check us out on social media, YouTube, IP2 podcast, Twitter, IP2 podcast, and on Blue Sky, IP2 podcast. Thank you. Can we can we restart? Sure, of course. <laughs>